the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Morning, Glory, America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt. That's Who by Fire by Leonard Cohen. I'm playing it because it ends the movie Golda. Golda is available on your streaming platform uh, if you're anywhere connected to it. And it has flaws. Don't get me wrong. It's not a five-star movie review. All it does, though, is communicate the terrible sorrow in Israel today by going, going back and reflecting on the terrible sorrow of 50 years ago, which was also a surprise attack. Uh, and that, though, was a war by states against militaries. This is by far worse in Israel. And I do not know if America has moved on or just legacy media. And I am astonished by this. I I could spend all the show talking about Speaker Jordan, and I think he's going to be elected tonight because the Republicans are serious and the holdouts realize we're on the cusp of a giant war in the Middle East. Or I could spend the whole show talking about what I think is a clearly unconstitutional gag order on former President Trump. Uh, I've taught void for vagueness for 25 years. I, I really don't know how he's supposed to comply with this order. And I could go on at length about that. I have a Washington Post column today about the Supreme Court, different areas of it that I wrote two weeks ago and put in today because uh, it, 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 I can't just write about Israel. But then I watched Golda last night, fetching Mrs. Hewitt and I, after the reports of the savage murder of the six-year-old boy in Chicago by a crazy 77-year-old landlord who is afraid of the day of jihad, the wounding of the little boy's mother. It's such a savage and terrible attack. And then the terrorist attack in Brussels, and that terrorist was killed this morning. And then this morning in news items from John Ellis comes item four. France is on edge. It's home to both the largest Jewish and Muslim communities in Europe. France is feeling the strain of the Israeli Hamas war, like no other country on the continent, tensions are embroiled everywhere from school children to football players in a country with a complicated colonial history in the Middle East and North Africa, one that is uh, suffering the unmistakable reverberations of a conflict that's pitted Jews against their Muslim neighbors. On Saturday, the Louvre and the Palace of Versailles, two of the capital's tourist destinations were evacuated and shut down. Pro-Palestinian protests have been banned. The country has been moved to the highest level of terror alert, with 7,000 soldiers deployed to supplement a heavy police presence on the streets. What the terrorists have done is bring the world back to 9-11. But America is blissfully going on, uh, not being told. I mean, I think Jake Tapper is doing a great job on this. I think Lester Holt is doing a great job on this from the Middle East. But a lot of the media has just, oh, let's move on. There's, you know, 1,400 dead, 200 hostages. Hamas released a a psychological war terror video of a hostage yesterday. And overnight, Hezbollah 
attempted to infiltrate and continue their attacks on northern Israel. And I don't know whether Tony Blinken was doing good or bad. And I know Joe Biden is going to Israel tomorrow with a show, quote, of solidarity for Israel. It might be that. It might also be a way to stop a preemptive attack by Israel on Hezbollah. And after you watch Golda, you'll get the understanding. They, they could have preemptively attacked in 73, and they did not do so, because Henry Kissinger asked them not to uh, and was trying very hard to keep the Russians out of Egypt. And I understand all that. The, the movie's flaw is that it upplays Dr. Kissinger and it downplays what Nixon did, which was set, say, send everything that can fly. Nixon ordered the resupply that saved Israel in the conventional war that was waged 50 years ago. By the way, I did some research so that you get some idea of scale. All right, so 1,400 dead in Israel, among them 300 IDF soldiers. Uh, in all of the 1948 War of Liberation, 4,000 IDF soldiers were killed. 231 were killed in the 1956 Suez invasion. The Six-Day War claimed 776 Israeli Defense Force casualties, deaths. Yom Kippur War, 2,565 dead. The First Lebanon War, 2,656 dead. The Second Lebanon War, 121 dead. This war, and it hadn't even really begun, it's just, it's been absorbing the blow of the terrorism massacre, has, has already killed 300 soldiers among the 1,400 civilians uh, and, and soldiers. And Israel can't, and they're not done burying their dead. The trauma of 200 hostages, again, multiply everything by 32. All right, that's the multiplier. It might be 33 or 34. And you'll get the idea of what would it mean in the United States. So you take 1,400 and, and, and you times that by, by 30 to 32, depending on how many people are actually in the United States. And it's, you know, it's 40,000 dead. What would, a, what would a terrorist attack that left 40,000 Americans dead do to the United States? What would a terrorist attack do that kidnapped, uh, what, what is 30 times 200, um, 6,000? What would we do if, if terrorists had 6,000 Americans held hostage? There are Americans among the 200 held hostage. What would we do? Now, Secretary Blinken has been zipping around trying to be Kissinger. And he's not Kissinger. And the administration is not Nixon. Biden is not Nixon. He is not saying on air, you know, we're, we're trying to get peace and then send everything that can fly when the doors close. He's doing the opposite, actually. He's saying, gosh, we're with Israel. And now he's already doing the but, 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 but. Now he's an old man and doesn't really know what he's doing. And if you don't believe me, I'm sorry. That's the, that's the case. But listen to John Kirby on Fox News Sunday with Shannon Breen. Cut number one. Well, of course, Iran is broadly complicit here. And of course, the resourcing and training they've given to Hamas has obviously helped Hamas function and be able to conduct the terrorist attacks that they have been able to conduct. Um, we have held Iran accountable. There have, the attacks on our troops in Iraq and Syria have greatly decreased because of our retaliatory strikes. There's a lo- the longest truce in Yemen now in place, saving literally. Stop right there. I, I really if you watch his body language, Admiral Kirby is just lying. And this was brought to my attention by an active duty member of the military. Um, who was watching it on the West Coast and said, so I didn't get it in time yesterday to uh, to see it, that watch Kirby. He's lying. Of course he's lying. They haven't done anything in Iran. They haven't done anything to deter Iran. They were giving Iran $6 billion. They've done nothing. And they, they've authorized Iranian oil sales across the world, and they've, they've taken off the sanctions. 
uh, and Iran has been busy plotting massacre against Jews because it's an anti-Semitic regime and Khomeiniism is founded on that. Now, we, I'm going to read you an article from the Times of Israel in the second segment to set up Dr. Warren coming on. But we at Salem have partnered with the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. And we are doing, we are raising money for the evacuees from war-torn areas, for the first responders and the volunteers who are in need of medical equipment to treat the wounded and basic supplies like food and, and water, and elderly families and new ulim immigrants, I gather, who are in need of basics like food and water, medical and emergency equipment, and psychological counseling to deal with the trauma. And uh, your response has been fabulous. Please keep it up. Head over to HughHewitt.com. And uh, I think someone sent Gallagher $100,000. Good for him. Good for them. Uh, Because there isn't enough money to, to do what they need to do. And if you just focus for a little bit on what the trauma is like. They're, they're not going to get over this in a hurry, but they are going to destroy Hamas. And Hezbollah is looking like it wants a war. And they'll get a war if they want a war. And they'll get a war that will destroy southern Lebanon. Because the Israelis are not going to accept any more casualties on that war. They're not going to be terrorized by terrorists. They're not going to do it. And we should be with them. And we should be telling Iran one thing. Stop, not don't, stop, because they are telling Hezbollah. If, if a rocket comes from Gaza, uh, from Lebanon or Gaza, Iran said do it. Iran said do that terror attack. We've we got to be clear. These are Iranian actions. And if Israel strikes Iran, they will be justified. They may not do so out of questions of prudence, but they would be justified. That's what we need to say. Blinken had a seven-hour meeting. Yesterday. I, I think his whole intent is to slow down Israel. And, and they're papering it with, oh, Benny Gantz is in favor of this. I, I doubt that. Uh, you know, Benny Gantz and Netanyahu have very deep, deep, almost hatred between them. But you know what unites the Israelis more than anything else is someone attacking their, their sovereignty and attacking Jews. And the never again stuff is real in Israel, even if the United States doesn't get it. So please head over to HughHewitt.com, International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, uh, sponsoring the campaign, and it is at the top of HughHewitt.com, and we are supporting it, too, and I want you to. Uh, I'll be right back, America. Lots to tell you about today, because Jordan will be speaker. Trump's gag order is unconstitutional, but we're focused on the fact that the world is at the brink, and we're sleepwalking. Stay tuned. I'm Hugh Hewitt. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Welcome back. I'm Hugh Hewitt from OSINT Defender. Great site on Twitter, X. Sources within the Israeli Defense Force have reportedly told the Jerusalem Post that one of the primary reasons for the delayed invasion of the Gaza Strip has been the increasing worry that Hezbollah will join the war soon after the invasion of Gaza begins, with IDF Northern Command making sure that forces along the Lebanese border are prepared for a major outbreak of hostility, which is claimed to now be almost complete. And 
you got to understand the, the one thing that I wish we had clarity on. This is all Iran, right? Hezbollah does nothing without Iran's okay. Hamas doesn't do anything without Iran's okay. And I'll confirm that with Dr. Oren afterwards. People have got to understand that this is all about Iran. But I am, uh, and Israel's response to Iran. I want to make sure you realize what's happening in real time. I posted last night the stunning speed at which the narrative has been turned against Israel as it prepares to destroy terrorists who took, who murdered 1,400, took 200 hostages, illustrates a deep rot in academia and much of legacy media. Israel is still identifying its dead, and already demands for it to stand down are piling up from the usual suspects, being amplified by the usual suspects. It will not work. It should not be allowed to work. People with platforms have to keep the focus on the savage massacre and the hostages and the justice of the war that Israel will wage to make sure 10-7 is a never-again moment. Uh, and now the Times of Israel put together this story. Normal life in Israel stopped when the Hamas terrorist group carried out its brutal massacre on October 7. Now the country is fiercely focused on three goals, mourning the dead, fighting the Gaza-based terrorists, and rescuing scores of hostages. Schools across the country are closed. Major streets are nearly empty of traffic. Many shops and businesses are shuttered, with workers called up for reserve duty. The attack, in which more than 1,300 Israelis lost their lives, I've seen the number 1,400, in a single day, left Israel unmoored, shattering faith in the state's commitment to its citizens' defenses and the superiority of the country's army. High-tech fortifications crumbled within minutes in the face of a force that Israelis previously viewed as a ragtag bag of terrorists. For the first time since the 1948 war over Israel's creation, enemies seized Israeli territory, and they dragged at least 199 hostages into Gaza. With terrified citizens in the South barricading themselves in homes, the military took hours to respond. Feelings of vulnerability and abandonment were only deepened as desperate families of missing and captive Israelis found no government officials to talk to for days. I can't help but think how my entire generation will permanently have collective post-traumatic stress disorder, said 23-year-old Ido Tamir, whose friend was killed in Hamas' devastating onslaught. In a tight-knit country of over 9 million people, nearly everyone knows someone who was killed, taken hostage, or whose fate remains unknown. Israel's a small country, said Sahar Dayan, a 25-year-old friend from a kibbutz north of Tel Aviv. If it's not my friend, it's my friend's friend. Dayan spent Sunday at funerals for her two best friends, Noam Shalom and Bar Tamor. They were at the outdoor musical festival when Hamas terrorists burst into the open field and gunned down partygoers. Terrorists rampaged through a string of towns and villages, as well as several army bases in an early morning slaughter. In response, Israel's hit terror infrastructure in Gaza with airstrikes, prevented food, water, fuel, and electricity medicine from entering the territory, called up 360,000 military reserves for an expected ground invasion aimed at destroying Hamas. More than 2,700 people have been killed on the Palestinian side, according to health officials in the Hamas-ruled Strip. Tamar Ashkenazi, author of a book on coping with loss, is consumed by the tremendous fear for her 22-year-old son, Yonatan. She has avoided TV since he headed off to the war as a paratrooper. I don't like to hear the government tell you about a ground invasion. I don't trust this government to take care of my son, she said. For the last week, TV stations have set up special broadcasts with slogans like Together We Will Win and Strong Together. Their reports, in turn somber and uplifting, focus on the aftermath of Hamas's massacre. Stories of grief of the unfolding humanitarian crisis in Gaza, and some commentators refer to Hamas terrorists as Nazis or bastards. 
People donate food, to, uh, donate food to soldiers and medical workers. That's what we're doing with the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Offer their homes to residents displaced from the southern border with Gaza. Gather, because they've had to evacuate the complete southern border and now the northern border. So there are thousands of Israelis who have no place to live. Uh, just again, there, there's really no counterpart in the American experience. Uh, stories about hostages held by Hamas in Gaza dominate the national conversation. Families whose relatives are missing or confirmed hostages have formed organizations and work with press teams to circulate their stories. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can't think of anything else, said Yoni Asher, describing how his wife, two young daughters, and mother-in-law were taken captive. I know that the diplomacy world, the political world, is a cold and cynical world. Please, please, I'm begging you, don't hurt them. Time is critical. Each day that goes by, the chances they will suffer gets much bigger. On Saturday, hundreds of protesters thronged outside the defense ministry in Tel Aviv to call for the hostages' safe return. And people are demonstrating against Bibi. Even though the uh, head of Shin Bet stepped up today and said, it's my fault. That's a, I'm not going to get into Israeli politics, but the Shin Bet, that's their, that's their FBI, stood up and said, it's my fault. Did you see any American after Abigate, one person, one person stand up and say, that's my fault? Shin Bedhead stands up and says, that's my fault. Not Lloyd Austin. Nobody. Nobody. Certainly not President Biden. Stood up and said, that's my fault. Shin Bedhead did. Uh, I'm going to talk with Dr. Michael Oren from Israel next. Stay tuned, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt from Inside the Beltway, joined by... Dr. Michael Oren, former ambassador of Israel to the United States from Israel. Good morning, Dr. Oren. Thank you for joining us. My first question is pretty blunt, and I know you're a diplomat first. Is Secretary Blinken and President Biden a visit helping or holding back Israel from doing what it has to do? Well, it was a question I'm, I'm hearing in an Israeli television station. And that was precisely the question we were talking about in our panel discussion. Uh, in Hebrew, you, it's a word that rhymes. Is it a chibuk or a chizuk? Chizuk is what the you know is giving you know a, a support uh, a big a big level of support and the chibuk is a hug but it's a, a hug in the sense of a bear hug so are they pushing us forward or pulling us back and my answer is well it's a little bit of both uh, frankly first of all at a time of, of great sorrow and anxiety uh, for the state of Israel to have the president of the United States come here and it's pretty much unprecedented I mean he was in Kiev earlier this year. But before that, you'd have to go President Kennedy flying into Berlin in 1963. So it's quite an extraordinary thing. It's, you know, there's an element of risk into it. I'm sure they'll make sure that they're, they're going to try to reduce that element to next to nothing. He'll probably land at a secret place and be flown by helicopter to a secret place. And I'm sure Hamas will arrange a very warm welcome for him in terms of uh, extra barrages. Um, but uh, and that's that's deeply appreciated by the people of Israel. The chibuk, the bear hug, uh, will be around the issue, uh, I think, of um, of humanitarian aid for the Palestinian population that has been moved out of northern Gaza. And you have to understand what's going on here in terms of our public opinion um, and that there is almost zero support among the Israeli public for aiding uh, the Palestinian, quote unquote, refugees who have been moved out of their houses um, to make way for the for the battle, because uh, as far as Israelis are concerned, um, and I'm talking about close to all, certainly Jewish Israelis, uh, the Palestinian population of Gaza is not uh, innocent. Uh, these aren't innocent uh, civilians. These are people who voted for Hamas, who cheered Hamas, who gave out candy when our, our children were being uh, butchered 
who came to the fence. Apparently, hundreds, maybe even thousands of non-Hamas Palestinians came through that fence to kill, to maim, to rob, and to take captives. And a percentage of our captives are in the hands not of Hamas or even Islamic Jihad, but in the hands of private families who sell them, by the way, who sell them. So that's... Um, the, the United States wants us to to give that type of humanitarian aid, whether it be food, water, uh, other types of shelter. Um, and it's going to be a very hard lift for the Israeli government, given the state of Israeli public opinion. I would not send if, if America was asked to send aid to Afghanistan on 912 or 920. I don't think anyone would have. Oh, yeah, let's get humanitarian aid to the Taliban and Al Qaeda. Uh, Dr. Warren, I got, I got to ask yeah. you about. Two things. Uh, I'm stunned in America that we want to move on. You know, Jim Jordan will be speaker by the end of the day, I think. And we'll move on there because Republicans are serious people. We've got academics from places like Cornell out there saying they were thrilled by the massacre. Mm-hmm. And we have turned away. Are, are you astonished like I am by the reaction in a, that most of American media has moved on? And a lot of America, you know, maybe 5%, but it's still a lot, is cheering. Hamas. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm. I'm stunned, but not surprised. How's that sound? Because um, I know how the media works, um, and I know that you know 1,400 dead Israelis buy you so much good time on the media. There's probably an algorithm out there that does exactly how much good time perfect. Um, and I've been actually to see that, that the sympathy that we've received has lasted as long as it does. What you have to do as I do in the international interview on the international media. Uh, it was already three days ago when the BBC stopped mentioning any Israeli casualties at all. It was all about wow. Palestinian suffering. And now we're now we're approaching the I think a tipping point is out there in the in the American media as well. It also has to do with just media attention. Look, who's reporting about Ukraine right now? Things aren't any better in Ukraine. Uh, the story's saturated, how the media works. But according to a poll NPR and by PBS, and you can't accuse them of, you know, pro-Israel bias, can you? Can't, and you know, um, two-thirds of Americans support Israel in this campaign. Um, that breaks down, according to parties, of course, fewer Democrats than Republicans, and uh, younger Americans. You have to be a boomer to feel, you know, very, very strongly uh, in support of Israel, apparently, according to this poll. So that is pretty, that's a pretty deep still. Um Wellspring of support. It's going to change when that those those American audiences are going to be bombarded with pictures of quote unquote Palestinian suffering, and um, and that's what always happens. It happens you know, it happens in in microcosm with every small war we have. It's going to happen on a grand scale with this war. Doctor Ron, I watched Golda last night with my wife because I hadn't seen it when it came out, and I know the story well because I work closely with Nixon, and the movie is fine as far as it goes with Golda and Henry. It downplays Nixon sending everything that can fly. And so I've got problems with the film, but it does communicate that the Israelis take seriously every loss of a young life more than maybe more than any other country in the world. And the IDF has already lost, I think, 300 soldiers and more will be killed or wounded in Gaza or with Hezbollah. Uh, Do you expect that we will go back to that? and understand what it means to be an Israeli attacked by terrorists. I mean, this is not a conventional war. It is 9-11, but I don't know that American media gets this at all. It's, it's extremely difficult for anybody, any country, to understand 
the Israeli psyche, the Israeli mentality, what human life means to us. I mean, we were treating, we treated a thousand terrorists, one Israeli hostage, Gilad Shalit, out of jail. Uh, the Americans, I was in Washington when that happened, the people in, the, in Washington looked at me like we were crazy. Uh, the Israelis didn't. So, yeah. Uh, we just lost the signal. Dwayne, would you call the ambassador on, on the back line? Because i got to ask him about the Iranian question. In the meantime, um, let me look at what markets did yesterday. Um, well, no, I won't do that. I'm going to I'm going to come back to that. We're going to try and get him back up on the phone. I, the opening of Knesset yesterday was amid rocket fire as the prime minister Netanyahu warned Iran and Hezbollah against a second front, telling him that if you do this, that'll be the end of it. If you if you do that and, they, and Hezbollah has kept it up. And the question I got to ask, Dr. Oren, I, I think this is all Iran. Uh, This is Iran said, go Hamas. Iran is telling Hezbollah to launch. I don't believe Americans understand that either. And they're unwilling to say it. And and we know it. We understand it in the American government. Trump would have said it. I, I don't think this would have ever happened under Trump. Iran would not have dared do it. They're dealing with a weak, weak president. And Iran has sized up Joe Biden and his team. And they are. They're acting this way. And I think Dwayne has got uh, Dr. Oren on the line now. I'm not sure. Dr. Oren, are you back with me yet? Uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll continue. Oh, good, Dr. Oren. Uh, I was just saying that I don't think Americans have figured out yet because no one's helping from the administration. Iran drives Hamas action, and Iran is controlling Hezbollah. And so Iran is driving this bus. It's a three-legged stool, and Iran's on the top of the stool. Am I right? Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, of course. We're in the first Iranian-Israel war is what we're in. And uh, we know it. And we, you know, brace for the possibility of a second front. And no one will be, no one will be surprised if it breaks out. But that, that brings me to the bear hug again. Mm-hmm. If Israel had wanted to act preemptively against Hezbollah, like they ought to have done in 73, that's the one thing Golda, the movie, brings out, is that she could have acted preemptively. She didn't because Diane didn't want to do it. And we know the intelligence failures, et cetera. And the Shin Bet had stepped up yesterday and said, it's my fault, by the way. I, I, I greatly admire that man for doing that. I, I don't know that it will stop there. But, you know, no one ever stood up and said, Abby Gate is my fault in America. Were you surprised by that? Uh, no, I wasn't. And, you know, no one ever resigned after 9-11. I don't think anybody resigned it to Pearl Harbor either. Um, uh, in this country, it's very different. Different mentality. You have to take responsibility. And, and uh, more people will. That's just the beginning. Um, as for um, as Iran, I, I published an article last week in the Israeli press saying that uh, this is the time to actually strike Hezbollah. Um, it ruffles some feathers. I mean, Hamas is not going anywhere. We've got it trapped. We can, we can bomb them from day and night. We have 360,000 reservists mobilized. We've got two aircraft carriers off the coast of Lebanon. Hamas is a threat, uh, a, is a threat that's 15 times bigger than that of Hamas. And eventually we're going to do a war with it. Why not do it now? Uh, last question, Doctor. What does it do to see the hostage video? Has, uh, Hamas is now releasing hostage videos. What does it yes. do? To, do you show them? Crazy. Yesterday, yesterday, yesterday I visited a family whose daughter uh, Mia was uh, was kidnapped, and today they released that picture of her of the oh. two hundred hostages. I was at that family yesterday, and I spoke to the mother today. We were crying on the phone together. Uh, you can't make this up. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm happy for her, quote-unquote. I mean, I hope she gets her daughter back. Just seeing her alive, she didn't really know. And that was extraordinary. You know, can't lose hope here. Oh, they're monsters. All right, they're stick monsters. with us. 
All right, we will. We'll talk again tomorrow. Dr. Michael Oren, thank you. When the government used emergency edicts during COVID to restrict the gathering and worship of churches, three pastors facing the risk of imprisonment, unlimited fines, and their own churches being ripped apart, took a courageous stand and reopened their doors in the face of a world that chose to comply. The Essential Church is a feature-length documentary that explores the struggle between the church and government throughout history. This fascinating story uncovers those who've sacrificed their lives throughout history for what they truly believe in. We discover why the church is essential and how we prove that this stand remains true from a scientific, legal, and most importantly, biblical perspective. This is not your typical movie. It'll change your life. You need to see this movie with your friends and family. The Essential Church is streaming today exclusively at SalemNow.com. That's Essential Church, streaming at SalemNow.com. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, joined by Senator Tom Cotton of the great state of Arkansas. Good morning, Senator. Good morning, Hugh. Uh, I expect Jim Jordan to be the Speaker of the House by tonight. It might take a ballot or two. What do you expect, and would you applaud that uh, decision by the House Republican Caucus, of which you were once a member? Uh, I would uh, commend the House Republicans for uniting the day behind uh, Jim Jordan. Uh, first off, you, I, I do want to say that I remain disappointed um, at the removal of Kevin McCarthy a couple weeks ago as the speaker uh, at the hands of the United Democratic Caucus and a few Republicans who made an ill-advised decision. Kevin was a strong speaker. Uh, he's one of the very first congressmen I met when I was running for Congress. We've been friends and good allies ever since. I'm glad he's remaining in the Congress. He'll be a positive force. Republicans of the country for many years ahead. Uh, that said, given where we are, uh, I do also believe that Jim Jordan will be an outstanding speaker. After Kevin McCarthy, Jim was one of the first congressmen I met when I was running for Congress. He was a, a close friend and ally uh, 10 years ago in my Senate campaign. He's been a good friend, SS Polly, to Anna and me. I've been in his home and in his district to campaign with him. I know that he has uh, the ability to unite the Republican conference and, and help uh, attain genuine progress for the American people. Uh, on all the things that matter to us, whether it's closing our border, cracking down uh, on the illegal immigration crime wave we see, getting inflation under control, getting our debt crisis under control as well. So I, I do commend the House Republicans for uniting behind Jim Jordan. I believe he'll be the speaker by nightfall. No, I do not know who talked to whom about what and what commitments, if any, were made by the speaker designate Jordan. But I did see a lot of national security conservatives, and they're hard to put on the spectrum between the Freedom Caucus and the Main Street Caucus. People like Mike Rogers and Ken Calvert that are concerned first and foremost with America's defense endorsed Jim Jordan yesterday. I thought that was significant and telegraphed to me that the serious national security conservatives are backing speaker designate Jordan. Did you read it that way? Well, Hugh, Jim has always been very strong on defense. Uh, going back to my time in the House 12 years ago, he was advocating for higher defense budgets in the face of the uh, devastating Obama cuts to our military budget. He's always been a strong ally of our friends around the world, like Israel. And I think as Speaker, 
um, he will be uh, very, very strong in national security. And that's why you're seeing our national security leaders in the House, people like Mike Rogers and Ken Calvert, Mike Gallagher, Mike Waltz uniting behind him. All right, let me move now to the most pressing issue of the day, the Iran situation. And I call it the Iran-Israel war in a morning because I believe Iran directed Hamas to do this. And I know there are credible reports of that. And I believe Iran controls everything Hezbollah does. They don't do anything without Iran directive. And, and Hezbollah has been shelling Israel. What is your assessment of Iran's complicity in the atrocity of 10-7 and on the ongoing attacks from the north and from the south on Israel? Well, Hugh, that's indisputable. Uh, even Biden administration officials admit that Iran is, as they say, broadly complicit. Uh, Hamas is largely a creature of Iran. Certainly, Hamas is a paramilitary and terrorist organization. It gets more than 90% of all of its funding from Iran. It gets training from Iran. It's been taught how to employ, in some cases, cases even make the missiles that continue to be shot into the heart of Israel now, uh, 10 days after on the October 7th attack. So there's no doubt that Iran is, as the administration says, broadly complicit in the sense that you can't breed pit bulls, raise them, feed them, train them, and then let them off their leash and claim no responsibility when they maul a neighbor. But I do believe, as you say, Hugh, uh, that Hamas, as a creature of Iran, would never undertake such a massive, complex, well-planned operation against Israel without Iran's approval and probably Iran's direct involvement in planning and coordinating the mission. Um, I understand why Israel right now is focused on totally destroying Hamas, not just as a terror group, but as a governing entity and social movement. Uh, but I don't think there's much question that Iran lays behind Hamas and this attack. And the message that President Biden should be sending to the Ayatollahs and Hezbollah is a clear message that if Hezbollah or Iran opens a second front on Israel, we will lay utter waste, not only to Hezbollah, but to much of what the Ayatollahs hold dear. Only with that kind of clear, unambiguous threat can we hope to deter a broader war in the Middle East. Do you hold Iran responsible for the safety of the American hostages in, in Gaza? Well, not just for the safety of our hostages in Gaza, but also for the now 30 Americans who have been killed in what was not just the worst attack against Jews since the Holocaust, but one of the worst terror attacks against Americans uh, in modern times. Uh, again, the focus right now is, is properly on the total destruction of Hamas in Gaza, but Iran must pay the price for unleashing Hamas to commit such savage atrocities, not only against Israelis, but against Americans as well. One good place to start is to freeze the $6 billion ransom payment that the president gave to Iran. I'll be going on to the Senate floor later today to seek a unanimous agreement to pass our bill uh, that would freeze that money. We'll see if any Democrats come down and object to it. A good, another good place to start would be to start, start enforcing the sanctions against Iranian oil that remain in place that the Biden administration has not enforced, allowing Iran to enrich itself to the tune of tens of billions of dollars, which, of course, has helped fund this campaign of terror. Now, Dr. Oren, Ambassador Oren, was being unusually candid with me today. He's very, very candid on issues not related to security policy. But even today, he said, look, there's a discussion in Israel whether or not we're getting support from America via Secretary Blinken and the president's visit tomorrow, or if we're getting a bear hug to stop us from doing what we need to do on the northern border. What do you think it is, Senator? 
Yeah, I think that's an apt turn of phrase by Ambassador Oren. You know, President Obama notoriously said we needed daylight between the United States and Israel uh, to force Israel to make hard choices. Uh, President Biden seems to have taken to heart the blowback that President Obama got on uh, that no, or that daylight comment. So he purports to have no daylight between the United States and Israel. But I think what he's doing is trying to get so close and close on the claim of no daylight as to bear hug Israel uh, to restrict their freedom of action. Tony Blinken just spent days shuttling around the Middle East ostensibly to show support for Israel. In reality, I, I think he's pressuring Israel to do things like open up uh, humanitarian aid into Gaza, when under current conditions, humanitarian aid is just a euphemism for the resupply of Hamas terrorists, or continuing to stress the need for Israel to conduct itself by the laws of war, civilian casualties, and so on and so forth. Look, there's no need to hector Israel about that. Israel goes over and above their duties under the international laws of war. Uh, to avoid civilian casualties. But by continuing to bang that drum, all he does is suggest that Israel might not act, uh, conduct itself in such a manner. So a- as I hear Tony Blinken these last few days continuing to talk about humanitarian aid, <clears throat> the avoidance of civilian casualties, and respect for the law of war, I've heard almost nothing from him about the destruction of Hamas, about the suffering not only of those who were killed or who are now taken hostage, but their families and their loved ones who have to get gruesome reports and sometimes even see uh, grisly, heart-wrenching videos of their loved ones. I, I would have liked to hear a little bit more from Tony Blinken about how, what the United States is doing to help Israel totally destroy Hamas and, and also threaten Iran and Hezbollah with opening a second front, rather than his continued overweening concern uh, about getting humanitarian aid into Gaza, which is really just going to resupply Hamas terrorists. Senator, I have great respect for the head of Shin Bet, who today in Israel stood up and said, the intelligence failure is my fault, and I will, we will deal with it after the war, but it's my fault. Have we had anything like that about Abbey Gate or the invasion of Ukraine from anyone anywhere in the administration? No, Hugh, we've never had that kind of frank, candid acceptance of responsibility, and I haven't seen that report, but it's not surprising uh, the Israeli Security uh, officials tend to take their responsibilities uh, a bit more seriously and directly than do Americans because their security situation is, is much more dangerous than ours. You know, they're a small country surrounded by many antagonistic countries. We're a big country that's far away from our adversaries. I think he's also right that there should be a full accounting for how this happened, but it has to occur after the war. Uh, when President Roosevelt went to Congress on December 8, 1941, he didn't wear the hair shirt and beat his uh, breasts uh, over the laps of intelligence at Pearl Harbor. He talked about destroying Imperial Japan completely and utterly. Um, and that's where the focus of the Israeli government is right now, and I'd suggest where it should be. One more question before I ask you about what I think is the unconstitutional gag order on President Trump, because I assume they taught First Amendment law at Harvard Law. I want to ask you about the, um, the, the issue of President Biden going to Israel. Do you think that's a wise choice by the president? Well, it depends in part on what he does there. If he's going to Israel to reiterate uh, his, what he said in the early days after this attack, complete, unwavering, rock-solid support for Israel, backing Israel as long as it takes, as he always says, he'll back Ukraine in its uh, um, war um, against Russian aggression, that'd be a good thing. But if he's going to Israel to do what Tony Blinken has been doing, which is to hector Israel, about minimizing civilian casualty when it's Hamas who's using human shields and committing war crimes thereby, 
or to demand that they allow food and electricity and other things to go into Gaza, which will just be stolen by Hamas and used for them, then no, that's a bad thing. And if he's going to Israel in part to try to delay the ground invasion further, since I presume Israel won't uh, launch any further military operations until the president's back in the United States, that would be a bad thing as well. So it really depends on what he plans to do in Israel. But I have to say, just within the last few days, we've already seen a shift in the administration's tone and posture, along with Democrats in Congress, from rock-solid, unwavering support to the usual hand-wringing and moral equivalence treating this bloodthirsty, savage terrorist group Hamas in Gaza as somehow equivalent uh, to the Israeli Defense Forces. Uh, I would recommend to the audience that they read Senator Cotton's article from two weeks ago, Lessons from the Yom Kippur War. He was applying to Ukraine. They apply to Israel even more. And compliments on that, Senator Cotton. I want to close, though. I assume that you had First Amendment somewhere at Harvard. What do you make of the unprecedented gag order on President Trump by a U.S. District Court judge yesterday? Well, it's another shocking breach of customs and norms uh, that uh, from the gang that claims to be always standing up for our democracy, capital O, capital B, as they put it, um, uh, again, to impose a gag order, not just on a criminal defendant, not just on a former president, but most importantly, on the leading candidate for the opposition party is something you would expect to see in Venezuela, not something we expect to see in the United States. Uh, again, gag orders, you, as you know, are usually designed to make sure the defendant can get a fair trial, not to muffle the defendant, especially a defendant who's being targeted by deranged zealots like Jack Smith at the direction of the president's handpicked attorney general. So I, I suspect that the president will appeal the, uh, the gag order. And if uh, the judges on the D.C. Circuit um, are applying the law in any even-handed way, I can't imagine they're going to allow this to stand. I think it's overbroad. I think it's void for vagueness. I think it's presumptively unconstitutional, but I have seen no First Amendment lawyering by the journalists covering the trial. Senator Cotton, thank you, as always, for specificity and clarity. I appreciate it. Coming back with Senator John Cornyn. Stay tuned, America. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Senator John Cornyn represents the great state of Texas. He's also a retired Supreme Court justice in Texas. So I want to begin, Senator Cornyn, by thanking you for joining me. Good morning. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Glad to be with you. Uh, you know the First Amendment. Uh, are you shocked or surprised by the gag order imposed on President Trump? Now, I'm Switzerland in the Republican nominating process, but I'm not Switzerland on the Constitution. I am shocked by the order. What do you think? Well, I am, too. I think people just they have it exactly backwards. Uh, I think it was Louis Brandeis who said that the the uh, the best antidote for bad information is more information, not censorship. And uh, so I, I just I think it's a bad precedent. I think it'll be overturned if interlocutory appeals are permitted. Now, Senator, let's talk about Iran. Do you believe they are complicit in the atrocity of 10-7? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you'd have to be really blind to the, to the long-standing, decades-long war 
that Iran has been waging, mainly using proxies like uh, Hamas and Hezbollah, against not only Israel, but against uh, Americans. And it has American blood on its hands. I remember in Iraq, for example, American soldiers being killed by IEDs, these explosively formed penetrators, and they came from Iran. So, uh, yes, I don't think there's any question. I think it's, uh, it's foolish to uh, try to say that Iran was not involved in this attack against Israel. No, we can't put an MRI on what Secretary Blinken and President Biden are saying and doing with Israel right now. But I have my suspicions that they're holding Israel back as opposed to 100 percent supporting them. What do you think, Senator? Well, I think we should get out of the way and let Israel do what it needs to do. And uh, unfortunately, deterrence has not worked in part because of some of the appeasement uh, of the Biden administration when it comes to Iran. They feel emboldened. They have been able to enrich uranium um, and sell oil, which uh, is supposed to be sanctions, and their economy is back running again, so they're feeling like they have the wind at their back. And a lot of that is because of the environment created by the appeasement of the Biden administration. Now, Senator, I want to turn to the possibility of Iran's Hezbollah puppet firing on American ships in the Mediterranean. What do you think the response of the United States would be if that happens? I think we ought to uh, respond in, uh, with, with the military force and to uh, make sure that Iran knows that that, that sort of attack against Americans will not go unresponded to. I mean, these are not people you can reason with. They, it's not a cost-benefit analysis for them. It's an ideological battle. And, of course, they're the number one state sponsor of terrorism in the world. And the Biden administration treats them as though they're a rational actor. They are not. And they will only understand uh, force uh, in response to an attack against Americans. Let's hope they, they aren't uh, tempted to do that. But if they do, they ought to be met with an iron fist. When Soleimani landed in Iraq to direct more attacks on American troops there, President Trump ordered that he be taken out, and he was. And then he told Iran, if you harm another American, we'll hit the following. I think it was 50 installations. I can't recall. They sent some missiles at Al-Assad, but we got a warning from them first that they were coming. Uh, that was kind of their way to escalate, to de-escalate. Do you think that kind of warning has been delivered by President Biden to Iran? Well, I hope so. Um, you know, the carrier strike groups that have been moving into the Mediterranean, I think, sends a pretty potent message. But again, these are not rational actors, uh, Hugh. And of course, Russia is loving the fact that the United States and its allies are being distracted from Ukraine uh, to Israel. And uh, Putin, probably with some justification, believes that this will, uh, this will dilute or weaken our resolve to uh, continue to support uh, Ukraine, which I believe is in our national security interest. So this is a very dangerous situation, and uh, I have... I think we need to be very careful and very firm in the way we respond. Then let me conclude uh, with the speaker vote tonight, uh, Senator Cornyn. You've never been a member of the House. You've been in the Senate a long time. You know the Senate intimately well. Do you have advice for any of the conservative holdouts or center-right holdouts in the House? We, I think we've got to get a speaker, and I think it'll happen tonight. What is your thought on this? Well, of course, as you know, Hugh, that the, the House doesn't really care one bit what the Senate <laughs> thinks. But, but let me just say this. I think it's important for Republicans to demonstrate that we can govern 
And we can't do that without a speaker. So I hope the, the House is able to uh, rally around someone. It looks like Jim Jordan's the guy. I found Jim to be a good person to work with on the Judiciary Committee and uh, somebody who I think has come a long way since he helped found the, the Freedom Caucus. So we've got to govern, and uh, the first, first uh, requirement is we need a speaker. So best of luck to him. Uh, Senator Cornyn, thank you for joining me this morning. Always a pleasure to talk to you, especially when we've got such a mix of issues as we do today. National security, judiciary, politics. It's always in John Cornyn's wheelhouse. Thank you, Senator. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Admiral James Stavridis, retired United States Navy, former Allied Supreme Commander of NATO. Good morning, Admiral. Good to see you. Good to see you, Hugh. I want to begin with our two carrier strike groups, one not yet there. The Ford was extended this morning by uh, Defense Secretary Austin. Their deployment's going to go forward a lot longer. Uh, prayers for the families who weren't planning on that. But, Admiral, um, if war breaks out with Hezbollah, and many people think it is, I talked with Dr. Oren this morning, uh, we're on the brink of it, are those ships safe from Hezbollah's arsenal? Well, no ship is ever completely safe. As the saying goes, if you wanted your ships to be completely safe, you'd keep them in home port and never put them to sea. Uh, So, yeah, there's a risk. But uh, compared to, let's say, a war over Taiwan where we're up against China or uh, a conflict in the Black Sea, even against the somewhat capable Russian Black Sea fleet, that would be much higher risk than anything they will face Uh, off the coast of Lebanon. Now, having said that, yes, uh, drones could come out after them, uh, unmanned surface vehicles. Think of what the Ukrainians are doing to the Russian Black Sea Fleet. Um, The good news is we're aware of the threat. We train for it. You've got those very nimble cruisers and destroyers around that big aircraft carrier. I think anything that Hezbollah can throw at the at the fleet, uh, we will be prepared for and we will handle. Admiral, as James Savridis, if, if Hezbollah attacks America, do you think Iran has attacked America? Yes, without question. I, I just think they are one in the same. Uh, puppet master comes to mind. Um, they are mind melded. And let's face it, of the two creatures Iran has created one Hezbollah to the north and Hamas to the south. The one the Iranians are most closely aligned with is Hezbollah because of the religious affinities. Hezbollah is Shia. I think technically they're Druze, which is part of the Shia side of the Muslim faith. They're very aligned with the Persians, if you will, with the Iranians. Hamas is Shia, and that is tolerated by Tehran. I think you mean Sunni, don't you? Hamas is Sunni. Excuse me. Thank you. Yes, correct. Hamas is Sunni and therefore simply tolerated by the Ayatollahs. Uh, But uh, yes, an attack by Hezbollah is an attack by Iran. So the the third question, if Hezbollah starts something, what kind of power can two carrier strike forces bring to bear on targets that are approved and within the proportionality guidelines that the United States, like Israel, follows in waging war. Yeah, this is something I'm quite familiar with. As you know, I commanded Enterprise Carrier Strike Group for over two years, conducting combat operations off Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, Horn of Africa. 
one carrier with its 80 combat jets and four squadrons of uh, attack aircraft can absolutely wreak havoc. When you put two there, two plus a two, one plus one is greater than two. And the reason is because you, you now have eight of those E-2 Hawkeye aircraft that manage the battle space. So having eight of those, you can really go into around-the-clock operations, essentially for an indefinite period of time. You're bringing eight squadrons of attack uh, hornets and joint strike fighters. It, it, it's an immensely powerful force. And, of course, both these carriers, as you know, Hugh, are nuclear-powered. One, Gerald R. Ford, the newest in the fleet. The other, Eisenhower, named after the first Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. I like to think those two presidents would be very happy to see their namesake carriers operating together. Now, Admiral, um, I know we are not integrated with the Israeli military. I'm not sure that we are interoperable with the Israeli military. But if Hezbollah got involved, how precise would our targeting information be? Because we have targeteers. We have people who work on this around the clock to avoid civilian casualties. But Hezbollah, and again, that's what I'm talking about here, Hezbollah, is very deeply hidden underneath civilian targets. What, what do you think about the problem set in front of the, ca- the task force carrier commander? Because I think it's his or her problem set, right? Absolutely. Let's start with U.S.-Israel. Uh, as you know, I spent four years commander U.S.-European command Part of my remit, my responsibility was U.S.-Israeli military to military. Went to Israel many times. I'm good friends with, for example, General Benny Gantz, who has now come into the war cabinet as the leading member of the former opposition. They're now in government. So I know the Israeli military very well. We operate with them constantly. We are Uh, very interoperable with the Israelis. And that's everything from missile defense, intelligence sharing, cybersecurity, special forces. We do an awful lot with the Israelis. Um, It is a relationship that is treasured on both sides, U.S. and Israel. So, yes, we're very capable. To your second question, the target sets are difficult, but not impossible. And Israel has spent decades with forward uh, activities, shall we say, special operations, espionage, and planet agents. They are very well aware of the targeteering that would need to be accomplished that can be done on the carriers, can also be done back at Sixth Fleet, uh, back in uh, Naples with uh, our four-star U.S. Naval Forces Europe, um, who will have overwatch on this. Um, A a good example, Hugh, would be during the Libyan campaign uh, in 2011 when I commanded NATO. We actually ran that out of Naples. We had uh, 30 different countries seamlessly put all that together. If we go to war with Hezbollah, I'm confident we will do it efficiently and completely interoperable with our Israeli counterparts. Now, you just answered my next question, but I want to expand on a little bit. The chain of command is the carrier task force. uh, There are two of them. Who runs the two? And then who picks the? How much civilian interference is in this? I'm trying to figure out, can they run the war without lawyers sitting on their shoulder talking about casualty counts? 
Well, first and foremost, um, each of those two carrier strike groups, a carrier and let's call it six to eight escorts, is commanded by a one or two star admiral. Um, there are a couple options here. When Eisenhower arrives on station, probably in four days, five days, then um, the senior of those two admirals will become de facto the commander of this combined strike group. Didn't know that. However, however, I think it's highly likely the Sixth Fleet commander, who is a three-star officer, uh, may very well come out in uh, in the the uh, the command and control ship that is available and take control of the entire operation. Or, uh, as I just mentioned in the case of Libya, that chain of command could run back to the four-star Navy commander back in Naples. I could see either of those eventualities. If we start dropping bombs, I assure you, at a minimum, there'll be a three-star vice admiral, sixth fleet in command. Probably the four-star will actually take command. When I was Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, that four-star admiral, Admiral Sam Locklear, ran that operation for me out of Naples, did a brilliant job, all very seamless um, on command and control. Admiral, what about the civilian side? You know, we all know about LBJ picking targets in Vietnam and what a nightmare that was. Would uh, the Politico stay out of this if Hezbollah, and I'm doing worst case scenario here because you know what you're talking about, and most people on TV don't. What would you expect would be the level of interference here? I think a very low, absolutely minimum. Um, obviously, we want Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin uh, in, in, involved, um, obviously, as Secretary of Defense. You want civilian oversight of military. But in terms of military activity, again, I'll go back to Libya. Um, I, I received zero direction or guidance from civilian actors telling me, OK, Stavridis, here's where the target sets ought to be. I was given a mission and I undertook it. We uh, conducted, I think, 25,000 precision guided strikes in a six month period with almost zero collateral damage. Um, It it can be done. And I uh, again, you will have advice from lawyers, Hugh, but those lawyers are the ones you want. They're the JAG Corps who specialize in making sure you're not violating the laws of war, you're uh, correctly targeting to avoid civilian casualties, but there's no swooping in of the assistant secretary of state to tell you where to put your bombs, at least in my experience. And I'm confident that would be the case uh, in Lebanon as well. I want to close with Ike, because when he was elected president, there were threats from Russia, uh, Soviet Union. And Ike said if they get involved, uh, North Korea will be destroyed surely as day follows night. Do you think something like that needs to be told to the Iranians? Um, I think it does need to be conveyed to the Iranians. That's, by the way, from Shakespeare. It's the char- character Polonius in Hamlet, um, as day follows night. Um, what what will uh, be happening right now is sub rosa signal sent to uh, Iran via all of our intermediaries. But the biggest signal is the one we've been talking about this morning. It's two carrier strike groups. And by the way, uh, little noticed in the press, but just announced the uh, Bataan, USS Bataan, an amphibious carrier, if you will, with 2,000 Marines 
in that amphibious readiness group and marine expeditionary unit is headed north up the Red Sea. So it's not only two carrier strike groups, the Marines are on the way. Um, All of that ought to be a very direct signal to Tehran. Uh, Admiral, not only do we get knowledge like that, we get Polonius thrown in, which I wouldn't have been able to pull up. So good on you. Thank you for your time. Follow Admiral Stav on uh, Twitter at X at Stavridis J. And I can I can simply say to everyone out there who's putting together a a presentation and you want to know what's going on, call up the Washington Speakers Bureau and book the Admiral uh, because you get Shakespeare thrown in with. Well, you know, when we were running the Libyan campaign, uh, I got zero interference from Washington. I, I just don't think there's anyone as well positioned as the Admiral to speak to the issues of actual combat, not the armchair analysts, not people like me, civilians who have no idea how it actually works, but somebody who's been there and done that. And Stav has. That's why we have him on every week. Don't go anywhere, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Stay tuned. And don't forget over at HughHewitt.com, the Israel at War button, the International Fellowship of Christian and Jews providing aid and comfort to those in distress in Israel. Please be generous. I'll be right back. Morning, glory, America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt, joined by Brett Baer, host of Special Report, which you see weeknights, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. I think it's a uh, just the best news show going in America. Brett, good morning. Lucas Tomlinson and Trey Yinks are over there in Israel covering this very, very well. And I think Fox has been covering this massacre very, very well. I, I fear a lot of legacy media is turning away from the story. What do you sense? No, I agree. And um, I also fear that, uh, you know, we haven't even gotten to the heart of this issue, which is the... Israeli move inside Gaza, which is building the building and street to street, urban warfare, and uh, and yet uh, you're already seeing the turn. So I, I agree with you. I think that um, listen, I I'm proud of of Fox. I'm proud of uh, especially the guys in the field. Um, you know, Trey Yanks, Mike Tobin, Greg Palcott. Um, you know, Lucas. Those crews yeah. are really, really strong and uh, doing great work and really balanced work, but they're not turning away from the depravity or the moment. And I think that that's a, a credit to the organization. I just asked Bethany uh, Mandel, if 1,400 Englishmen or 1,400 Frenchmen or 1,400 Italians or Australians or any of our other allies had been slaughtered by terrorists, how much time would we be devoting to it? And 200 hostages taken and then make those numbers proportional with the population, which is so much greater in Israel. I, I don't get it, Brett. I just don't get it. What is what is driving the turn? I don't know. Well, I'd, I'd actually have a suspicion in that um, they're not winning. You know, if it's not about Trump, uh, it suddenly doesn't have as much power ratings wise. I mean, they're not getting the clicks. They're not getting the viewership. Uh, we are exponentially back, you know, in, in the poll position. Not that I really care about that as far as the substance and editorial of the moment. Um, but that is happening. So maybe that's a part of it. I, I don't know. And I, I find it sad because if it is a major, major world event that potentially has, you know, the, the possibility of changing not only the face of the Middle East, 
but the face of the world. If you have Iran get in the middle of this, as they threaten to do, if Israel goes on the ground in Gaza, uh, this is a different ballgame, Hugh. Oh, I, I just walked through with Admiral Stavridis what two carrier strike groups mean and what we do if Hezbollah fires on us. And does he believe that means Iran has fired on us? And his answer unequivocally, yes. And I don't know that it's dawned on a lot of American media that Iran is Hezbollah and almost certainly is Hamas as well. I think on Fox News Sunday, Admiral Kirby admitted that to Shannon Bream. But yet the president asked by Scott Pelley directly, do you think Iran is behind this? He says, no, there's no intelligence of that. So and I just don't I don't fully understand the uh, reluctance to go down this road and say Iran is not only funding but has planned. You have the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, Reuters, with very specific sourced stories about the planning that Iran did with Hezbollah and Hamas ahead of this. And yet uh, the administration doesn't want to talk about that, the president in particular, in part, I guess, because they realize they have to do an about face on their Iran policy. You know, Brett, that could be one explanation. You can't, and I don't expect you to comment on my opinion. I think the president is not, uh, I think he's infirm and is incapable of picking up all of the sophisticated inputs that are coming in. Now, Secretary Blinken sent, spent seven hours with the Israeli war cabinet yesterday. And Dr. Oren explained to me this morning in Hebrew that both a good thing and a bad thing. There's one word, two words that rhyme bear hug or support, and they might be bear hugging Israel to keep them from preemptively striking Hezbollah to the north, which is the far deadlier threat uh, than Hamas. Hamas isn't going anywhere, Dr. Oren said, but Iran's got these 150,000 ballistic missiles. Yeah, and actually, yeah, you're right. I mean, Hezbollah is much more um, advanced, much more well-equipped, uh, and uh, has has a lot more funding and, and support uh, to the north. You know, if that happens, it's hard to believe that Israel might not say to the U.S., you know, we need some help with airstrikes or something. And then we are suddenly in the middle of this. And Admiral Stab suggested we would hold Iran responsible. So we are on the cusp of of very terrible events beyond the already terrible event we've seen. And we are covering anti-Arab violence, as happened with the young Palestinian boy as well. But I want to keep our our eye on the big picture. And it's Iran, Iran, Iran. And they don't want to abandon their policy. So I I just don't believe in this. Brett, just as an aside, I watched Golda last night. Have you had a chance to see the movie yet? Not. I have not seen it. Well, it's rentable. It's it's a B on history. They, They downplay Nixon and they upplay Kissinger, but they get gold to right. But we held 1973. We held Israel back from a preemptive strike. If you had any suggestion, we're doing the same thing right now in Israel vis-a-vis Hezbollah, because that's in the Jewish press coming out of Israel, the Hebrew yeah. press. I, I, I don't have any insight into it, but I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, that, that theory about bear hug or, you know, giving a tap on the back is is real. Because um, I don't think the Secretary of State was scheduled to go back there, uh, and yet he, he's spending a lot of time there. Now, what they're saying publicly is getting well-received um, in, in the Israel press and, uh, and, and population, but uh, 
if there there may be some effort to you know prevent or slow walk uh some some strike that uh you know Israel wants to do on on behalf of its safety yeah, I just read this morning the Times of Israel, the fortification of the Northern Front is definitely underway. But I do believe people have got to understand that although Israelis are obliged to say thank you, thank you, thank you, they can also be yelling across the table at Tony Blinken and Joe Biden, and we wouldn't know it, that they want to go, 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 and we're stopping them. And they just, I just don't know that we have any visibility into that, but I don't think Secretary Blinken is Henry Kissinger, and I don't expect you to comment on that. Let me close by asking you about the the minor stories. Uh, first of all, the gag order on President Trump is unprecedented in American constitutional history. I think it's void for vagueness at the very start. I have not seen our traditional First Amendment absolutist step up and denounce this as an overbroad restraint of speech, prior restraint of speech. Have you? No, I have not. And, you know, we covered it last night, but in the wake of what's happening, it, it gets very little attention. And, you know, not surprisingly, um, the First Amendment folks are, I don't know where they are. And uh, that's because it deals with the former president. That's it. And I'm astonished. Maybe, And I don't expect them to know the void for vagueness doctrine. I've been teaching it for 25 years, but I just can't believe this is constitutional. Last story, Brett. I think Jim Jordan will be Speaker Jordan by the end of tonight. Maybe not on the first round because the Republicans are serious about national security. What do you expect? I think so. I mean, I just the voices that I, I hear uh, are starting to get to that point. You know, this one looks bad Two, in the middle of what's happening in the Middle East. And three, uh, they can't go through you know, 20 votes again, 15 votes. Uh, I think I, I would put my candidate casino about 60, 40, three votes or less. Yeah, I'd be willing, given the odds, to go 100 chips in. Uh, Brett Bear, <laughs> uh, always good to talk to you. We'll be watching the Indispensable Show special report, and you should be watching it every night at 6 on Fox News. Thank you, Brett, as always. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Uh, yesterday, Generalissimo, are you there? I, yesterday, I had a retired Navy captain friend stop by right. who had lost 38 pounds. Now, they're not using myphdweightloss.com, well, which is a sponsor of our show, but they are doing what you did. But a Navy captain's got a great deal of rigor built into their life already, right? When they are told they have to do A, B, and C. They do A, B, and C by their doctor. Right. Some people need a little bit more help than that and a little more specificity, and that's what myphdweightloss.com does. That's the beauty does. of the program is they assign a nutritionist, a counselor to talk to you and hold you accountable, set reasonable goals, and help walk you through, especially in the early weeks of it, how to actually achieve those goals. And when you slip up, they find out why you slip up, and and we figure out what we've got to do to get to the next step. 864-644-1900. That's 864-644-1900. MyPhDWeightLoss.com. I mean, he feels great, by the way, as you do. It's I a do. wonderful thing to lose uh, 30 to 50 pounds if you need to, or more if you need to. I, it's a wonderful thing. I actually just talked to Rachel a couple of days ago. She said, <laughs> how do you feel? And I said, I, you have a lot more energy when you're minus 50 pounds. Then, then why aren't you working more? Um, did you see your cut sheet today? Did you see I, your cut I, sheet I just, yesterday? I just, I, did, I just did was you, wondering it's a good where the show. energy you is you going. Gotta, it doesn't look any different from anything I normally get. But of it's course. A, 
1900. Thank yes. you, sir. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, Bethany Mandel, writer and um, great columnist, also mother of many young children. Bethany, I've been following your X feed, and like many mothers, you've been traumatized by this event in Israel. Have you noticed the narrative is already changing? I I have to some extent. I mean, I, I think that there is understandable concern about the humanitarian crisis happening in Gaza, and it's it's heartbreaking. It truly is. But the the top line of why this crisis is happening is because of Hamas. And have you seen the Cornell professor and the students at NYU tearing down the hostage pictures? And you know, we also know about the Palestinian boy killed by a crazy man who was afraid of jihad in, I think, Chicago. It's all deplorable. But I, I just wonder, as an American Jew, what do you think about this? I mean, what I think about a, a six-year-old Palestinian boy being stabbed 26 times is it's a horror. You you, you don't avenge blood with more blood. Exactly. Um, but it's, it's, it's so disturbing to see what is happening on American college campuses and what's happening in the in American streets. There was a massive, massive protest in Dallas of people, you know, people had patches on their shirts of the paragliders. And a photo of the paragliders is basically putting a swastika on your jacket because you're not protesting for Palestinian human rights or self-determination, nothing. You are celebrating atrocities. Um, it's, it's, you know, I knew that there was a campus anti-Semitism problem, but to be frank, I had no idea it was this bad. Did you see the story of the Temple University Jewish student whose dorm door was put on fire? Yeah, yeah. And and that kind of stuff has been happening for years. I mean, that's not new. What's disturbing is how many campuses. Uh, I, I spoke to a student at the University of South Florida who told me that when they were when they told campus police that they were afraid, they were told by campus police that they were exaggerating and that they were creating drama after they were threatened by students at the school. Credible threats. I mean, it's it's really scary to see how little the the American sort of college network really care about Jewish students. And it's been inspiring to see how many donors are saying, I'm not I'm not giving my money. Yeah. So, Bethany, now I want to turn to the media. Is anyone in legacy media doing an adequate job of chronicling the anti-Semitism in America? I don't think they're doing it. I know they're not doing the job they need to be doing in Israel because I talk to Dr. Oren every day and I read the Times of Israel and, and I listen to the podcast from Israel and I know the horror and the, the depth of the grief. I know it. I can't feel it, but I know it. But I know American media is just not covering this in a comprehensive way. I don't think a lot of Americans are aware of the outbreak of anti-Semitism and violence. And that that paraglider patch, you're absolutely right. It is. It's just not being covered, though. No, no, it's not. I mean, I think that there is an understandable thirst for the the horror stories of what happened, you know, a week and a half ago. And I think that there's also, uh, you know, this is an ongoing situation. But if we're going to see if the media actually care about anti-Semitism because they're going to move on because they always do. And that's that's how the news cycle works. I'm not I'm not new to this industry. But if they actually care about anti-Semitism and they don't want to see you know, someone stabbed 26 times here in the United States, they, they, we need to have an honest conversation about, you know, what's happening uh, on American college campuses with anti-Semitism. But we also also have to have a conversation about 
how this creates a cycle of violence here as well, which led to a six-year-old boy being stabbed. Because people don't understand. They don't understand that just because you're upset about Israel and Hamas, it doesn't mean you can stab a six-year-old boy. I agree. Now, Bethany, that, that goes without saying, but we have to say it over and over again. People like Guy Benson and I have to say it over and over again. We do. I want to ask you one last question. If 1,400 Englishmen, 1,400 Frenchmen, 1,400 Australians, 1,400 New Zealanders, 1,400 Italians had been massacred, would this country still be focused on it in a different way than if it wasn't Israel? I I mean, I I don't know. It was... this is unfortunately a, a situation where people are are desensitized to to conflict in the Middle East. They they've decided that there there is a an understanding that you know Jews die and and this is all just part of a cycle of violence. And it's so frustrating to see statements like came out of the Church of Latter Day Saints the other day where they said we're we're sad to see an escalation in violence. No, this wasn't an escalation in violence like we normally see in that region. LDS did this that? was. The, the Vatican has been completely weaselly. The, my, my church has been a complete weasel, except for the cardinal in Jerusalem who said, take me and give us a hostage back. But I didn't know that that had happened in Salt Lake City. Yep. Yeah, I, it, it's been really it's been really um, revelatory. Who, who are friends and who are just, you know, and I say that as someone who has written for LDS publications for years. I, it's, it's been really, really disappointing to see. Also, Catholic Church. Yeah, it's, you know. Oh, the Vatican's been, uh, dis- don't get me started, Bethany. It's it's awful. It's awful. The Pope is awful on this. I mean, just awful. Uh, Bethany Shondark right. on Twitter. Thank you. We'll talk to you again next week. Prayers for you and your family and all American Jews who are not as traumatized as Israeli Jews, but close. Close. I'll be right back, America. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 